Hello, friend. Welcome back to the Wayfarer Podcast. I'm Tom Badwell. Appreciate you joining me again today, this Monday, beginning of a new work week, as we continue our chapter day journey. We're going to begin trekking through the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, and it was verses 4 through 7a that resonated with me this morning. It says, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to his wife, Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Today's podcast is entitled, The Valley and the Mountain. When I was a young man, the opening chapters of 1 Samuel were all about the special circumstances surrounding the birth of Samuel. Samuel was the important one. Samuel is special, as was his birth. Samuel is the name of the book. Samuel was the last of the Hebrew judges. Samuel established the Hebrew monarchy and crowned its first two kings. Samuel established the prophetic tradition within the Hebrew monarchy. It's all about Samuel. Then Wendy and I spent years on a journey through the valley of infertility. And I will never read the first chapter of 1 Samuel the same way again. You know, there are things that couples experience on the infertility journey that are unlike anything else I've experienced in this life. I learned along the way that it is an incredibly nuanced experience based on multiple factors in that journey makes a difference whether a husband is truly all in physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally with his wife for the long haul through that valley. The fact that I'd been previously married and had experienced the pregnancy and birth of our daughters was a factor in the relational equation. It's also a very different experience for those who walk through the valley of infertility and find the path that leads to the mountaintop of pregnancy and childbirth and parenthood compared to those whose journey languishes in the valley of infertility, seemingly destined to never find the ever-desired pathway to that particular mountaintop. The first chapter of Samuel is about a woman named Hannah who is on this journey through the valley of infertility and the particular nuances that were unique to her experience. Polygamous marriages among Hebrew commoners was relatively rare in this period of history. One of the exceptions was when a man first marries a woman who turns out to be barren. Having children, especially sons, was so important to the perpetuation of families and culture in those days that a man who finds his wife to be barren would be encouraged to marry a second wife so as to bear him sons. And it's likely that this was Hannah's reality. She was not only shamed that she could have no children, but shamed that her husband married another woman to do what she could not. So not only did her husband Elkanah marry another, but he also married a woman named Peninnah, who saw Hannah as a female rival. Although Elkanah was empathetic and generous toward Hannah, He was never all in with her. I don't think he could be. His loyalties with two wives would always be divided between Hannah and Peninnah. And Peninnah had plenty of children 
and sons with which to claim and maintain her favored status as the wife who gave him sons. When Elkanah and his household go to Shiloh for the annual prescribed sacrifices, it was a harvest festival celebrating God's abundant provision of fertility via life and crops and children. As if Hannah's everyday experience wasn't hell enough, having mean girl Peninnah rubbing salt in the wound of Hannah's infertility, attending a national festival of fertility and life and harvest had to be like descending into an even deeper ring of hell. And at this point in today's chapter, Hannah is an emotional and inconsolable wreck. With Peninnah and all her children standing behind Elkanah as a reminder of Hannah's shame, Elkanah says to her, quote, Aren't I worth more to you than ten sons? End quote. Oh, you stupid, stupid man. See, a husband who has walked with his wife through the valley of infertility knows that words must be chosen wisely when consoling your wife in her grief. In fact, it was in the valley of infertility that I learned to embrace the truth that sometimes there are no words. In the same way, there are no shortcuts to making the pain of infertility all better. So in this context, Hannah's prayer and commitment to give her son to the Lord takes on a whole new level of meaning. After all those years in the valley of infertility, Hannah finds that pathway to the mountaintop of pregnancy and childbirth and motherhood. I mean, she has every right to enjoy clinging to her boy, soaking up the blessings of raising him along with the justice of being able to daily show him off to Peninnah and tell her to go take a long walk off a short pier. But Hannah doesn't do that. She literally gives her son, Samuel, to the Lord, handing him over as a baby to be raised by the high priest and the Levites in God's tabernacle. And in doing this, Hannah becomes a foreshadow of what God will one day do when he, quote, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, end quote. That is the beauty and the power of today's chapter. And it's easy to miss if you've never trekked through the valley of infertility. Now, Wendy and I never found that path to the mountaintop of pregnancy and childbirth. We did, however, find a different path, and it led to a mountaintop called Joy. And believe me, the view from there, it's pretty amazing too. I hope the view is amazing from wherever you find yourself on life's path today, my friend. Have a good one. We'll be back here tomorrow.